The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. that the gospel was ringing out from them, uh, not just in their local area, but uh, everywhere. And so there's a lot of good things about this church that might help us be a great church as well. And so that's kind of how we've been looking. So we've been looking at growing in different things. The first week we talked about um, growing in our identity as God's people and what it means to really be the people of God. Uh, Last week Andy looked at growing in authenticity and what it means to be real as the people of God and how churches and our connect groups and communities ought to be places where we can be transparent, where we should feel safe enough to be authentic and real and not pretend with our Sunday masks, but to be genuine in our, in our following of Jesus. We see that Paul has very clearly in mind the Thessalonians' experience of persecution and suffering. And um, as we kind of engage with this topic... I always struggle whenever we talk about persecution and suffering in a Western context because it always feels inauthentic. It always feels like we don't, we don't really identify with what these people were going through. And I remember thinking that when we preached through Hebrews and we talked about suffering and persecution, we're like, do we really suffer? And then 1 Peter, of like a year or so ago, we, we kind of engaged with it again. It's interesting that just about every New Testament letter talks about suffering. As Christians, which kind of puts a big question mark on the whole prosperity doctrine. But anyway, that's another conversation for another time. But in light of our own situation, thinking about what do we really suffer? Um, Stuart, who comes to our church, as some of you know, Stuart Fitton, he sent me an email uh, a little while ago about um, what the Chinese government is doing right now in really ramping up um, their nationalism. And it's affecting all religious groups, not just Christians but a huge rise in persecution in China. And again, I find myself thinking, wow, they're more in line with what the Thessalonians were experiencing than kind of we are. But then I had a conversation with Sarah and Jeff, um, who went to a, a conference last weekend, and they were talking to me about Eddie Wu, that some of you might know, a Christian math teacher who lives kind of close up here, um, and a, a YouTube sensation who is very, very open about his faith. And how he's experienced a lot of opposition and persecution and uh, discrimination and kind of disadvantage just because of his Christian faith. And it kind of got me thinking, okay, well, maybe there is persecution, challenge, struggle in our context, but it looks maybe very different. And then as I began to kind of look at 1 Thessalonians, uh, even in chapter 3, I began to realize that Paul's focus was really not about the persecution per se. It's about what the persecution was doing in the hearts of these Christians. And if you go to chapter 3, we're just going to jump in there for a little bit. He says this in verse 2, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we, that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. And in, in verse 8, he again says that... Um, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. That was Paul's concern. 
He was concerned that the persecution might have discouraged these Christians and might have somehow affected their commitment to Christ and uh, causing them to want to give up on following Jesus. And I began to realize that that is real for all of us. That challenge that we all face trials and difficulties that can discourage us, whether it's hostility and persecution from friends and family or in our workplace, or just life that happens to us that can really discourage us and make us question, is it really worth to follow Jesus? Because it seems too hard and too difficult. And if we look at it that way, then this passage has a lot to say to all of us, not just those who are facing open hostility and persecution, whether that might be intense or mild or every, anywhere in between, or just struggle with discouragement. And maybe that's one way that we can come at this passage and see it speak into all of our hearts. And so I want to give you kind of five real quick things, and in some ways these are really, really obvious, that will help you grow in your resilience, will help you do what Paul wants the Thessalonians to do, to stand firm in their faith to not get discouraged, to not quit, to not give up, and to to continue faithfully following Jesus in the midst of hardship and hostility or even open, strong persecution. So let me pray and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for the grace you've given us through your word and through uh, this letter that was written to Christians who lived in a very different time and faced very different circumstances than maybe we, we do. But we thank you that by your spirit, you can speak into our hearts, into our situation. And we ask for you to do that this morning in Jesus' name. So as a pastor this morning, this word is particularly relevant for me. Because as a pastor, I want to tell you that there's nothing more discouraging and demoralizing than seeing people who used to be a part of your church, who used to be Christians, no longer want to follow Jesus. It kind of really strikes at the very soul of your, your deepest part. And so I I really resonate with Paul's intense desire to see these Thessalonians not go that way. And so I want to preach to you this morning with pastoral urgency. And I want to challenge you and I want to stir in your heart and remind you of some things that we go on about at this church over and over again. So I'm going to tell you the same things that we always tell you. But with that sense of urgency because we do want you to stand firm. We, we do want you to be resilient. We do want you not to give up on Jesus. And so these five things. The first one is this idea of, of having an appreciation for God's word. And, and Paul begins by saying, we also thank God continually because you received the word of God. He tells us that they did three things. They received the word, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. So they received, they accepted, they believed. Now again, many of us come from cultures, and I do, where you can almost say that there's a bit of Bible, Bible idolatry. You know, we don't like to see the Bible on the ground. We don't like people kind of doing bad things to the Bible. And, and I understand that. But sometimes we do that, but we don't honor God's Word in other ways. But these Thessalonians, they they received the preached word as it really is, not as the words of men, but as the word of God himself. And the word that Paul uses here, you accepted it, means they welcomed it into their hearts. They didn't just listen. They didn't just engage with it. They meditated on it. They chewed on it. They reflected on it. They studied it. they, They gave themselves to it. 
In Acts, we're told that the people of Berea, they, they were like that. They, they scrutinized, they examined the word. They, they, when Paul was saying it, they, they, they didn't just receive it, they, they brought their hearts to it. But not only that, Paul tells us that they were also believers. They actually then realized that, hey, this is God's word, and God is speaking into my heart, and I'm going to trust God's word. As Luke was encouraging us this morning, to believe in the promises of God. To hold on to them when everything else is going crazy around us. They, they trusted God's word. They took him at his word and they lived in light of it. There was a story told about um, this park ranger in Yellowstone National Park in America. And he was taking this group of hikers on this guided tour and they were heading towards this lookout. And along the way, he was kind of showing them the different plants and the different animals and he was really in his element and he was really excited and, and showing them all this stuff. And his radio, his two-way radio was squawking the whole time with all these messages that were going out and he was hearing all these voices and it was so irritating and annoying and he was so distracted by it, he turned it off. And so he kept going on the tour and they kind of get to this lookout and another park ranger comes running up to them breathless. And he said, why haven't you been responding to those messages? He said, we've been trying to get your attention. There's been a grizzly bear that's been stalking your group for the last 20 minutes and you've been in incredible danger and we've been trying to get your attention. And, and see, we do that. We get so distracted. We're having such a great time living our lives and having an awesome time that we kind of see the Word of God as this kind of distraction of something that I have to do. And we switch it off. And God's trying to kind of warn us and give us a heads up. Hey, there's a lion that's prowling around. And we're not hearing God's Word. You know, I I read a statement that really challenged me. How we treat the written word shows a lot about how we treat the living word. So let me ask you, if you were to measure how you love Jesus by how much you love his word, how would you rate? How would you rate? You see what I mean? Like we bang on about this. You know, Shamala and I were at a seminar yesterday about stewardship and and church health. And one of the alarming statistics, they said that one of the biggest uh, factors in in Christian discipleship and growth and maturity is this. In all the research that people have done, there is a direct correlation, not a causality, but a direct correlation between people who read their Bibles regularly and who indicate that they're growing spiritually. The Word. An appreciation for God's word. And let me just kind of nail this one for you. Right? If Jesus, when he was faced with spiritual attack in the wilderness, went to the word. And if Jesus, when he's on the cross about to die, went to the word. What makes us think that when we face trials and hardship and discouragement and fear and all of those things, that we can get by without the word? What makes us think that? I want to suggest arrogance. Pride. But the truth is, this word in our hearts is a powerful tool to help us be resilient, to stand firm in our faith. The promises of God, the word of God. The Bible describes itself as a mirror, as a lamp, as, as bread, as living. What Proverbs says that your word is better than life. Your word is better than treasures. Your word is better than all kinds of food. I wonder if we really believe that is true about the word of God, that it is better than treasure. Really? But this word in our hearts, 
makes such a big difference. So how are you going with that? Are you growing in getting this word into your heart? Reading it, listening to it, however you do it. Doesn't matter. Modern technology gives us lots more options and we still opt out. Come on, church. That's why we bang on this. You want to be resilient, you want to stand firm, get the book into you. Second thing Paul tells us is this idea of, I guess, identifying with the people of God. He talks about verse 14, for you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. There's incredible power when you realize that you're not alone in your struggle. Again, we bang on about connect groups. Why? Because community is such a powerful tool in remaining faithful to Jesus. And we saw that in the book of Hebrews, how important it is for us to encourage one another. And you know, recently I was at a pastor's retreat and one of the most powerful things about that retreat is sitting around and when people share their stories, you kind of realize, man, all pastors face the same kind of struggles. It's not just me. I, don't, I can't go to a self-pity party and woe is me. My lot is worse than everybody else. Oh, I feel sorry for me. I'm hearing their stories and sometimes they go, man, I'm glad I'm not in your church. Man, your church sounds amazing. Mine's re- like we're all going through our own stuff. And I, I think hearing that and, and recognizing that and being, and that's what Paul says, look, the stuff you're going through is the same stuff that other Christians have gone through. And in several places, when, when the New Testament writers talk about suffering, they say, what you're going through is what everybody else is going through. Don't feel that you're any more hard done than anybody else. Don't think that God's got a kind of target on your back and he's just out to get you. It's just what it means to follow Jesus. He even says they did it to the apostles, uh, they did it to the prophets way back before the churches, and they did it to us in our ministry. And Paul has referred to that in several times how they were driven out. And he even says Jesus experienced suffering as well. And there is incredible power as we come together and we encourage each other. We, we are authentic with our struggles. We're real. And we say, you know what, I'm going through a hard time. And somebody else goes, you know what, I've been there. I've been through that. Let me encourage you. And then when that person's going through a hard time, you can encourage them and go, remember when I went through that and you encouraged me and the word of God was a blessing to us? We identify with each other and recognize that we are part of this community of God's people that began in Genesis who were always persecuted, challenged, faced struggle and hardship and remained faithful. Which is why in Hebrews 12, the first verse after he's cited, you know, when we looked at that in Hebrews 11, he says, therefore in view, in view of all these witnesses, of all these men and women who've gone before you, stay strong. You're not alone. And as we hear about persecution in the world, in China and and India and all different places in the world, that's why we like telling you some of those stories. Not that we want to glorify this, but to remind us we're not alone. And our brothers and sisters are suffering to give us perspective, to view our pain and suffering in light of what other people are experiencing, but also to remind us that we're not alone. There's an identification with the people of God. The third thing he tells us is for us to recognize that there is an enemy. There's an enemy of God's people. And again, like he brings this out 
so clearly. Verse 15, these people, these, these Jews that were the opponents of God, they killed the Lord Jesus. And, the pro, and in their effort, listen to this, to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. See, there's always going to be opponents to the kingdom of God. And again, he's just told us the prophets before you were persecuted. The church in Judea experienced persecution. And we look at the life of Jesus, the number of times he faced opposition and hostility. See, the enemy is real. There are those who are opposed to God. Paul elsewhere, I think it's in Philippians, he says there are those who live as enemies of the cross. One of of my favorite movies is um, the Men in Black series, but the first one in particular uh, for those of you seeing it, where this alien villain comes and clothes himself as a human. And he's a bit weird and he's a bit clunky, but he kind of still looks like us. And in the, I'm trying to say this very carefully without spoiling anything, in the newest Marvel movie, Captain Marvel, one of the great things about the villains is how they can morph themselves to make them look like anything. And, and that's kind of, like our reality. You know, sometimes we don't realize that not everyone that we work with in our family or whatever is going to appreciate the fact that we follow Jesus. And in fact, in Corinthians, Paul says that if we're the aroma of Christ, for some, that's an aroma that leads to life, but for others, it's a stench that drives them to death and will make them hostile and oppose the gospel and everything that God is about. And we need to recognize that. Not that we need to be paranoid or fearful or kind of go look for the enemy everywhere. No. But to recognize that we are in a real struggle. Paul uses the language in Ephesians 6 saying that we're in a war. And it's a spiritual battle. And in that context too, he says the importance of the word of God because it's a sword. And we need to recognize that this enemy ultimately, and you see in verse 18, as Paul mentioned to us, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. See, we can get preoccupied with the human elements and the human enemies, but behind all of those human enemies is the real enemy. The real enemy of our soul, Satan, the adversary, the enemy of everything that God is on about, who is always looking to oppose the kingdom of God, the advance of the gospel. And here, he's hindering Paul. He's stopping the Gentiles from even hearing the gospel. He'll do whatever he can to derail the purposes of God. That's our real enemy. So when we talk about God being our defender and chopping off the head of our enemy, that's who we're talking about. That's who we're praying about. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, in the spiritual warfare passage, pray, pray. That's your weapon. That's the way that you can stand firm. And in 2 Corinthians 10, he says we battle a spiritual battle. And so the weapons we use must be spiritual weapons. We don't pick up swords and we don't pick up guns. We we get on our knees And we intercede and we pray and say, God, may your gospel continue to go forward. That's what we see in the book of Acts. There was opposition. There was hostility from the Jews, from the the Romans, from the Gentiles, from everywhere. And yet the disciples, they prayed, 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 prayed. And God did supernatural things to keep the gospel going forward. So that nothing can hinder the advance of the gospel. So you want to be resilient. You need to recognize that we're in a real struggle. We do have a real enemy. Whatever you think about spiritual warfare, however you conceptualize it, that's not the issue. The reality is that the Bible makes it clear we have an enemy. 
And he will use human agents. He will use spiritual things. He will use circumstances. He will use all kinds of strategies. That's why Paul says, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Because he's out to trap you and discourage you and oppress you and tempt you and harass you and intimidate you and lie to you and accuse you and do all of that thing with the one single purpose to get you away from Jesus. And he'll do it. And yeah, you need to be vigilant, not fearful, but vigilant and prayerful. Prayerful. Christian, how is your prayer life? Are you, are you using the weapons that God's given you that are at your disposal to do spiritual warfare, to, to stand firm? As Paul says, having clothed ourselves in the armor of Christ, clothed ourselves in the identity of Christ, where we stand firm in the day of evil. And we're resilient and we're strong and we, we, we don't give in to the enemy. The fourth thing Paul brings out in this passage is that we are to trust in the vindication of God. Because things will happen to us. We will lose our jobs. We will get rejected by family and we'll feel the injustice of it. And we'll feel hurt and we'll feel pain. And in some instances, people lose their lives. They lose their homes. They, they lose their families because of no other reason other than they name the name of Jesus. Who will speak for them? Who will stand up for them? Well, I, I think we need to do what we can to, to speak up for them, to pray for them, to intercede and all of that. But Paul says that we have this confidence Though they, they do everything they can to, to speak, to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, he says, in this way, verse 16, they always heap up their sins to the limit, and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. You see, there will come a day when God will make everything right. Now, that, that's, that phrase there, that sentence, is by, considered by many commentators to be the hardest sentence in Paul's letters because it's just so confusing. Because he's talking about the wrath of God, which usually Paul means the future day of the Lord. But then he says, has come. Has come upon them. Well, what does that mean? Well, they say well, it could mean that something happened, in, particularly in Jerusalem, that Paul has in mind. So the, the sacking of Jer Jerusalem in AD 70 when Rome came in, maybe that's what he's alluding to. Or maybe... He's, he's talking about some other kind of event that was God's judgment on, on Israel for their rejection of the gospel, rejecting Jesus, maybe. But what makes it even harder, he says, has come upon them at last, which is, again, taking us into the future. So it's like, whoa. Maybe Paul is saying here that the vindication of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God is so certain that he can speak about it almost prophetically as having come now. Kind of like what Paul says when he says, the wrath of God now abides on those who are not believing. Either way you look at it, the bottom line is that nobody gets away with it. Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, what you sow, you'll reap. You can't mock God. You can't fool God. And I guess we, we understand a little bit of this with you know, uh, war crimes that after years and years and years have been exposed and people have been brought and tried and condemned and judgment has been given over them. And um, even contemporary context with all the royal commissions, we know the reality of that, that even things that were done 30, 40, 50 years ago have been brought to light and people are being held accountable. Paul says, trust in that. That better than your legal system 
better than your judges, better than the, the government of the land, is the all-seeing God who is holy and righteous. And he will vindicate. He will make everything right. He will bring justice. He will set everything in order. So as you go through stuff, as you face persecution and hardship, as you face the devil just throwing everything at you, trust that one day God will make all of those things right. He will vindicate the righteous. Hold on to that in your moments when you want to give up and when you want to quit and you wonder if it is worth it. The last one he says is focus on the mission of God. And I love this and this really challenges me. He says in verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Brother, sister, Christian, what are you living for? What are you living for? What are you investing yourself into? How are you using the things that God has given you? How are you stewarding your your money, your time, your talents? What are you doing with that stuff? What are you building on? You see, if, if you want to live a resilient life, if you want to stay true to Jesus, one of the things you must never lose sight of is the mission. The mission of God. What, what he has called us to do, which is to go and to make disciples, which is to tell people about Jesus, to be witnesses, which is to be ambassadors, which is to be salt and light, which is to have a kingdom effect wherever we go. Because Paul says, what, what, you know, like a lot of people, we talk about rewards in heaven. What will that be like? What, what will, and, and there's so many different opinions and views, but nobody really knows. Because all the best metaphors and images just come short of really describing the reality of what that's going to be like. But here Paul says that my hope, my joy, the crown that I'm looking forward to is to see people that I have impacted for the cause of Christ. Seeing people that I've witnessed to, seeing people that I've discipled, you Thessalonians that I've loved like a father, that I've cared for like a mother, you Thessalonians that I've taught and that I've instructed and I've prayed for and I've discipled and I've cared for and I've loved and I've encouraged, you are my hope, my joy, my crown. That's what I'm going to get to heaven to look around and go, wow, this is awesome. Look at these people that I've been able to move closer to Jesus in some way and they're here because I played a part in their journey. So Christian, what are you investing your life into? What are you spending your money, your time on? What, are you, what is the, the driving purpose of your life? Are you just working hard to secure a good retirement and you're just counting down the days till you get to 65 and you go, that's it, I'm done. Now I just get to sit back and enjoy the fruit of all my labors. Yeah, I hope you do get to enjoy, but I want to tell you that retirement doesn't exist in the Bible. Maybe paid employment does, but we're meant to be on mission till they carry us in a box. Or is it that you just preparing and living your, you know, living your life just to find that right someone and, and settle down and, and get married and have a, have a great life and have kids and, and that's your hope and that's your dream. I want to challenge you, look beyond that. Look for more than that. Or is it to travel the world and to kind of 
going to knock off a hundred countries on your most visited list of countries or whatever, whatever, what is it? And those dreams are wonderful and great, but if there is not a higher purpose and a higher dream, I want to suggest to you that maybe you're going to get to some point in your life and realize how empty that is, how futile it's been. And maybe you ought to have given your life to something more. And I want to suggest to you that there is something more worth giving your life to, and it's the mission of God. Because you will have incredible hope and joy and an incredible reward as you invest your life into discipling others. And whatever it is you do in your work, in school, in uni, whether you're single, you're married, whether you're a parent, that is the thing that will help you to keep going when it's hard. Because you're looking ahead and you're realizing that one day I'm going to stand with people friends I've gone to school with, friends I went to uni with, friends that I don't even know where they are anymore, but I know that while I had the opportunity to be in a relationship with them, I said something, I did something that moved them closer to Jesus. And I'm going to be there and I'm going to look around and go, oh, wow, wow, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Thank you, God, that you use me to make a difference in other people's lives. The mission of God. And so I want to encourage us as Christians, I'd love for in 10 years' time for you to all be following Jesus, whether you're here in PCC or not. That might be different. And you might leave here to go and do some other great kingdom stuff. Fantastic. But in 20 years, in 30 years, in 50 years, in 70 years, however long God gives you, my prayer is that you will all still be following Jesus because you've put these things into your life to be resilient and strong and resolute in your commitment to Christ in the midst of all hell breaking loose. And right now we've got it pretty good, pretty easy in Australia, but it might not always be this good. So let's dig deep in the good times. Let's grow strong in these good times so when the difficult weather comes, like Jesus said, we've built our lives on the rock and we will stand firm. I'm just going to finish with one story and then we're going to have communion together. There was a, a, a city guy who went to visit his country friend who was a farmer. And his friend took him out in the cornfields to see all his crops. And there'd been a lot of rain like we're having now and these crops looked amazing and looked really healthy. And his country farmer friend said to his city friend, I'm really concerned for my harvest because they're really fragile and really vulnerable. And his city friend was really confused and he said, man, they, they look amazing. They look so green and lush and they look like they're producing great fruit. He goes, yeah, they look great now, but the problem is we've had so much rain that the crops haven't needed to dig deep to find water. It's just kind of it's all there on the surface, accessible, available. So their roots haven't gone very deep. He said, if we just have even a small drought, I'll lose my whole harvest because the roots haven't gone deep enough to sustain them when the dry times come. Let that not be you, Christian. We have it great. We, we have access to God's word so readily. We have Christian radio stations. We have the freedom to gather together at, at, in church and go to Connect Group. How often do you actually come regularly I mean, there are Christians in parts of the world that would love to be able to meet every week but can't because it's too risky. 
Sometimes we have it so easy, we don't know how good we have it. And I want to encourage you, don't be a Christian whose roots are just shallow because it is so good. Because you do have it so easy and it is so accessible that you will dig deep, you will grow, you will mature in your faith and grow in your resilience and say, God, if the dry times come, if it's hard and it's difficult and it's barren and it's, that's okay because I've pushed my roots down deep and I can stand firm. That's the kind of church I would love us to be because that's the kind of church the Thessalonians were. So I'm gonna ask the ushers to distribute um, the communion and we're gonna kind of have that time of reflection. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.